Homestyle Green, episode 129. This week, we're talking Vastu architecture, where ancient practice meets modern-day science. G'day and welcome back to another episode of Homestyle Green. This is the podcast dedicated to making a better place to live. And this week, I'm very happy to bring you an interview I did a few weeks back now with John Lipman, who... I came across her, some work uh, of his, and it's all about Vastu um, and Maharishi Vastu architecture, which I knew absolutely nothing about. Now, it starts a little bit interesting and may not be what you're expecting out of this show. Uh, John talks about his learning of meditation and kind of takes a little bit of a spiritual journey, but it really is fascinating thinking about the place of architecture in history and how that combines with some modern science and modern trends through the 80s, through the oil crash and ending up where we are today and what we can learn from those experiences and bring that into everyday design of, of houses and, uh, and more sustainable buildings. Fascinating stuff. So I hope you enjoy this interview. Uh, before we get into that, just a quick shout out again to ProClimber. I'm hoping to uh, get some people on the show shortly f of uh, people who have actually used ProClimber so they can talk about how good it is rather than having to hear it from me each week. But uh, it is a great set of products that ProClimber offer. And if you are looking at doing a new build or renovation, then you definitely want to check out their stuff, uh, particularly for creating a airtight and Voiper, vape, Voiper, Jeepers, a Vapor intelligent wrap for your building. Check them out at proclimate.com or proclimate.co.nz. Now, let's get on with uh, this week's episode. I started out by asking John why he does what he does. I learned uh, to meditate when I was 18, the same, almost the same month that I entered architecture school. The meditation I do, Transcendental Meditation, has been very, very fruitful for me and has been the real central spiritual engine of my inner growth over my life. And at the same time, architecture has been uh, my my passion in, in the outer side of my life uh, uh, from then on. But but for a very long time, there wasn't really much communication between these these inner and outer components of of me. And I missed that. And then um, in the uh, late 1980s, I heard that uh, the the seer who brought this form of meditation around the world, Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, gave a talk in which he talked about a system of natural law-based architecture that comes from the same Vedic tradition as this meditation was, and which promised to be able to create nourishing influences in people's lives in a reliable way. And I was absolutely galvanized because, number one, it it held the promise of perhaps integrating the two halves of my life. And yeah. number two, what architect wouldn't like to know that the work that we are doing is having only nourishing influences on our clients. That is our aspiration, but we're never taught how to do it. And that was the promise here. So I was absolutely galvanized. And then a few years later, I had the opportunity to intern to apprentice and to completely steep myself in the system. And 19 years ago, I gave up my prior practice and have since then devoted myself solely to this. So did you 
have the opportunity to study underneath someone? Yes, yes. However, uh, my work uh, was, uh, it was a, an a apprenticeship in a very traditional kind of way, but in, in a 20th or 21st century manner, we were not in the same location. We communicated uh, daily initially by fax. Nice. Um, and um, in, in the manner of an apprentice, uh, for a very long time, I was not told any principles. I was simply given information. Um, and gradually over that time, I tried to make sense of it and to piece it together into into categories of knowledge. And then when I thought that I had 10 or 20 bits of information about some element of it, then I would write that up and I would uh, fax it across and then and then they would uh, uh, correct what I had written. And then I, then I knew that I knew that about that subject. And so it really was a, a kind of 21st century traditional <laughs> apprenticeship. But based around an ancient philosophy. It is ancient. Uh, Maharshi's perspective is that the Vedas are eternal, and they are simply the um, the the knowledge at the basis, the intelligence at the basis of nature, and that one of the aspects of of the Vedas or Vedic literature is the establishing or architecture quality of natural law. And this has been cognized and understood, at least within the Vedic tradition, for many thousands of years, and elements of it have certainly been been cognized within other traditions around the world as well. So it, it is it is ancient from one perspective and even eternal from another. So the person you were learning from, where where who were they and where were they? Well, they were in India and Europe at uh, different times. Right. Yes. Right. Um, why did you start meditation? I guess I was lucky. I mean, I say that tongue in cheek because it's been so agreeable for me. Um, there, there was an awful lot of interest in meditation and in, in transcendental meditation at that time, um, around 1970, 1971. <clears throat> there were some very, you know, prominent stars who were practicing it, and, and uh, Maharshi had been in Life magazine, and so everybody heard of it, and I since I'd been a small child, had been a seeker, I'd been looking for some path of spiritual development uh, that maybe seemed more accelerated than the religious tradition that I grew up in, which I still find to be nourishing, mm -hmm. but uh, maybe not sufficient. Um, and uh, and it was there, it was in the air. And so it, it seemed pretty straightforward to me. I, I just, I just, when I first heard, I decided this is what I want, I have to do it. It was as as unintellectual as that. Right. Yet, were there contradictions when you were studying the science and the business and the nuts and bolts? And um, you probably probably weren't using CAD design, I imagine, too much in those days. But were there? Did you come across a lot lots of contradictions in that what you were learning from meditation and the the sort of hard angles of modern architecture? And the business of architecture? Well, that's a great question, and nobody's ever asked me that before. And so now I have to kind of go back 40 or 45 years and, and see if I can come up with, <laughs> with what I was finding then. Um, well, architecture was hard. It was very – yeah. Uh, the, the discipline, as it was taught, I went to Cornell University, which was a very rigorous school. Um, uh, it was a kind of uh, military uh, exercise, and the, the faculty um, – were not known to be kind. They could be cruel, and uh, it was maybe a, 
the remnants of a 19th century Beaux-Arts French education. And um, uh, there was there was the uh, the orientation from the faculty that this is this is we have something divine and something kind of special. And if you are lucky and you get trained and you are talented, you can you can enter into this and partake of the secrets. But the irony was that over the uh, years, uh, I was connected with Cornell for eight years, which was long enough to see one trend rise and fall and another one come up in stylistically that, in fact, the trends, the styles, the focuses of architecture seem seem transient. They come and go. Uh, in the early 70s, we were, we were doing uh, modernism very rigorously under the inspiration of Le Corbusier. And, and uh, eight years later, uh, it, was a, it was the era of postmodernism and the beginning of structuralism. And, and I, honestly, I honestly asked myself, I don't, let's see if I can unplug my phone and make this sound. <laughs> well, that'll help a little bit. There's another phone further away. Um, I'm going to unplug it. Okay, now we should be uninterrupted. Everybody is away at lunch right now. Nice. So um, how could the two things be true, that, that we possessed some higher knowledge and yet that it was transient, that it was a matter of style that would change every five or ten years? There was an inherent contradiction in architecture as I was exposed to it. And it made, and, and what one experiences in, in, in meditation is something which is eternal. And it, it did make me aware of, a, of the um, kind of contrast between those two fields of, of life. Yeah, that's, that's a fascinating idea that, and, and I get that sense even today that it's a special club that architects and, even this distinction between architectural designers that we have, you know, which are kind of seen merely as, as CAD technicians, but they're not real architects. And to be a real architect, you you kind of have to learn the secret handshake. Yet, as you say, um, the, the consumer side of architect is kind of just fashion and you know, things come in and out of, of trend. So there is a natural contradiction there. Um, but then you've got that big contrast. Were there other students around? Did you know of other people who were similarly engaged with or excited about meditation and also practicing architecture or similar fields? Well, it's it's funny. One of my classmates did also learn to meditate at about the same time, and he and I lost touch with each other, and we just got back in touch um, three weeks ago by complete coincidence. Wow. So maybe maybe after this, uh, interview, I may call him up and say and ask him the questions you asked me. Yeah, yeah. So you stuck with it, and yeah. What? Um, tell us, a, sort of, paint a picture of, of where you are today in terms of your practice and, and, and what you do. You have a a regular architectural practice. I do. I I, I do two things. Um, I do have a regular architectural practice, and I design houses, office buildings university classroom buildings, um, and some apartment buildings. Um, I have not specialized in a, in a building type, which is something that so many architects do, but rather my specialty is in, is in Vedic architecture or Vastu as it was uh, revived and really clarified by Maharishi. 
Um, and so that, that, uh, I'm, I'm a kind of a source for that in North America. So people contact me and whatever the building type is that they ask for, I do. Now, as we were talking about before the tape started rolling, um, as was absolutely my own interest. And I was in college in, in the fall of 1973, which was when the first Arab, the Arab oil embargo in the United States occurred, mm. which was the jolt, which initiated for the first time, really, the awareness among architects that energy is not unlimited and we really should uh, design buildings that uh, do not waste energy. And so I completely embraced that to the irritation of of my faculty who were a generation earlier and couldn't see the sense in that at the time. And really? uh, so I'm, I'm very glad that, yeah, well, I remember a um, the new the new dean of our department uh, gave a lecture on his work, which included glass clad skyscrapers. And I asked him whether now that we've had an energy crunch, he would consider redesigning the facades in any way so that there was a distinction between the north and south yeah. facades. And, and he 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 gave me a look of contempt and would not really answer the question. So there was a generational divide between appreciation of uh, of energy efficiency as as a as as an important factor in architecture and not um in my in my universe um and so i was very grateful that maharshi also embraces this and in that very first talk that i heard him give on a audio cassette tape in the late 1980s on vastu one of the points that he made is that we should get our energy directly from the sun and he at that point was already promoting using uh, PV panels, electric uh, photovoltaic panels um, mm -hmm. as the source of electricity on buildings. And so I, for instance, today, many years later, I'm, I'm building my own house, my third, and it will be completely off the grid and powered by, uh, by PV. And that's not such a big deal anymore. But at that time in the 80s, it was yeah. quite radical. And so um, as a part of, of what I do practice, uh, that is very much an element of it. Coming back to the, your question that you posed about the glass-clad building, you could still ask that today, could you not? It, it, that's still being done. Has, has that side of the industry changed at all? Well, it has, and, and it's in, I can speak only about the United States with any authority, but there, there is an, an international energy code, which is the law in, in almost all of the United States. And uh, every three years under its, its new cycle, it has a three-year cycle, the energy requirements get tougher and tougher. And so uh, no, nobody would be allowed uh, to get a permit to build um, a building with the glass wall assemblies, the curtain wall assemblies that were being built in the 1970s. Um, and, and as you probably know, as any, certainly any architect knows, there, the, uh, the, the glass industry has uh, been galloping along uh, at a revolutionary pace. Um, and there are now glazing assemblies that are uh, appropriate for, for all, all uh, solar conditions. And there are glazing assemblies that change their insulation value and their solar heat gain coefficients, mm. uh, particularly um, based upon uh, the environmental needs. And so um, it, it may not be, um, it may not, it, it, it's not the best. It, you cannot, I don't think anybody would attempt to build a passive house and clad it entirely in glass um, because you can't meet those standards. But but you can use quite a bit of glass now in a in a much more energy efficient and responsible manner than than you could a few decades earlier. Yeah, right. 
Let's go into the principles. So, because I imagine a lot of people are similar to myself that they haven't come across Vastu architecture before. How how do you sum it up? What what are the um, what's the sort of elevator pitch for um, Vastu architecture? <laughs> it is it's based in natural law. It's it's based on the the most powerful and profound influence of natural law on the surface of the earth, the sun, the moon, the stars the cosmic forces, the North Pole, the South Pole, the equator, and by using their influences as they are transmuted through our intermediaries with the natural universe, which is our buildings and cities, we are able to create nourishing influences on us in our buildings and cities, influences of good health, of happiness, of family harmony, of success, of even enlightenment and of great security. And uh, this is um, is not just a kind of a promise. There has been preliminary medical and scientific research, and I would like to see a great deal more done, which to the degree that they have been done are absolutely validating these these promises. So it really is possible to use different qualities of the sun's energy to, for instance, um, improve our mental health, to improve our heart condition, even to improve um, our prosperity, and these are these these emerge from statistical analyses of different houses, existing houses that that are analyzed according to uh, the Vastu uh, uh, perspective, and then compared to objective measurements of quality of life of the people in them. So it seems to be a very real, a very real thing. Now that's longer than an elevator pitch, but I'll stop for a breath, and you can ask me what <laughs> I should talk about next. I get as most people and designers would, the thermal energy from the sun, but I get the sense that you're talking about, and you mentioned stars and the equator and other forces. How does that translate into more than just the size of your eaves and and where you should put windows? That's an excellent question. So um, the answer is that there are different qualities of energy from the sun at different times of the day, which we all experience. We experience how enlivening the early morning sunlight is and how intense the midday sun is, etc. cetera. Um, and the Vedic literature explains to us that the influences that come from, the, from these different directions, because the earth is, is rotating, it's moving from west to east at hundreds and hundreds of miles an hour, mm. um, and the influences, uh, the cosmic influences from the different directions of the sun, et cetera, passing overhead differ. And therefore, life has evolved, uh, first of all, with a monitoring device inside of the brain uh, to our direction, which then appears to alter mind-body communication and, and the production of uh, the chemicals in the limbic system, which regulate growth, aging, and, and uh, stress levels. Um, according to orientation. The research is preliminary, but it seems pretty clear on this point. And so there's there's something about the environment on planet Earth whereby direction makes a difference. And so, for instance, the single thing that we do um, where we spend the most time pointing in one direction is sleeping. About a third of our day, we point in one direction. So not surprisingly, the Vedic literature has opinions about the best and worst directions to sleep. Um, by the way, east is best and north is worst. And that means the pillow end of the bed to the east is ideal and to the north is worst. And this is very easy to measure. Um, it turns out that in one research study that was published in a peer-reviewed medical journal, those people who happen to sleep with their heads to the north at home suffer from the worst mental health, have the most depression and anxiety. And um, so 
one thing that we do to make use of the sun's energy is we design houses so that beds, desks, um, and certain other key pieces of furniture have the ideal orientation so that we sleep and live primary chunks of our life in harmony with the nourishing influences of the solar energy rather than the diminishing one. So that's one way. Mm-hmm. And a, a second way is that even the orientation of a building itself as the kind of intermediary between us and the sun, the literature tells us has a profound influence upon quality of life. Now, this this is something which has been known in many cultures historically, but which is utterly absent from contemporary architectural education. And yet it turns out to be very measurable. And so there's been research that's been done, most of it published in peer-reviewed medical journals, that show that South-facing houses, south in the literature being described as having the most negative influences, people who live in them suffer from the most depression and anxiety, uh, are most likely by far to be under the care of a cardiologist, um, and are the least prosperous. And so it, even, even though it seems kind of surprising, um, it, is, it is documentable that the direction that a building faces has a direct and powerful influence in multiple ways on quality of life. So a Vedic or Vastu home, um, as, uh, as the system has been revived by Maharshi, will always face east, although north is also okay, and that can also be done. So those are two examples out of several of ways that we use the sun's influence on us. Which is really useful because I think a lot of people know, and I've, I've described this as well intuitively, that you're better off having certain rooms like the kitchen to the east and living spaces facing, in our case, north, but facing the sun. But I haven't always been able to explain exactly why that's good. People just know, oh, because you, you spend some morning time in the kitchen. But it seems as there's a lot more to it than that. And people, I think, intuitively know that that's a good place to be but don't necessarily have the philosophy to back it up. And science is very, very slowly starting to tease these things out. I just recently heard about and have not yet uh, looked at the citation for uh, a piece of research which apparently uh, ascertained that the color frequency of the sun at sunrise apparently has an effect upon the brain uh, to alter brain functioning so that we are awake and alert during the day. And so if we um, have an eastern exposure through a window or through a walk in nature um, at the time of sunrise, there is a, the start of a physiological understanding of why that is good for our health. Um, the interesting thing about the Vedic literature is that um, our understanding of it, uh, Maharshi's perspective and one which I fully embrace, is that it is, it is the direct cognition of natural law. And so we, we don't have to, if, if we have some faith in it, which you know, many people would have no reason to, um, we can embrace it without waiting for science yet to have analyzed um, the validity of, the, of each of the patterns. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a huge believer in science, and we have to do the medical research to test each one of the... Um, of the proposals uh, in in uh, Vastu, but in the meantime, I'm not waiting. And and the anecdotal experiences that people have in them are so overwhelming that I have no reason to turn back. Is, in the 21st century, is the science and the research an important marketing tool for things like Vastu? 
Well, I think it's more profound than marketing. I think that we live in a scientific paradigm mm. and uh, we do not accept the truth of something because a wise elder um, tells us that it is true. The way that we are, that we evaluate truth is through science. Yeah. And so I think that uh, if anyone who proposes something which is outside of the paradigm simply has an obligation to the public. Uh, to encourage the medical and scientific research to be done. And I don't think of that as marketing. I think of that as simply an honest way of communicating within this civilization. Now, a lot of people will be thinking Feng Shui, but there's evidence to suggest that Feng Shui followed Vestu. Is that is that the way that uh, it's sort of seen? Well, I, I asked a Feng Shui master and I asked um, uh, a... Vedic architect who's from an ancient, ancient Vedic family lineage. Um, this, this question is, is there any historical relationship between the two? And they both gave me the same answer. They both said, oh, our tradition records that feng shui comes from Vastu. And so that may be the case. Uh, the historical evidence is absent. Um, uh, they're really, um, it probably was transported over to uh, China, um, at the same time as Buddhism, that would be my guess, and and that was a couple of thousands of years ago. And and some of your listeners may know that in 225 BC, the first emperor uh, establishing the Qin Dynasty burnt all the books. He burnt all of the history and mm. sacred knowledge in China, and so we really have a vacuum. We don't know uh, the historical story about Feng Shui. I I, I do see parallels between the two systems. Um, and I could spend a half an hour discussing that in depth, but I won't. Um, but I think that because of the separation by virtue of the Himalayas over over many centuries, what uh, the two disciplines have evolved into are, are are quite distinct from each other. Why do you think it is that Feng Shui has got more of a hold in the mainstream? More people know have, have heard of Feng Shui. Well, I, I I don't know why, but I'm glad I'm glad that people have because it's it's an awakening. You know, there's a kind of a paradigm shift in our civilization in which we are um, becoming aware of influences, um, more subtle influences on life, and and feng shui is very attuned to that. And um, I, I mean. Uh, how, why, I, whether whether there were actually public relations agents uh, hired and many many books written, I I don't know and I don't need to speculate. But I'm I'm glad that feng shui is out there and we're we're happy to be following in um, that awakened interest in the public um, in the ways that laws of nature can be integrated into the design of buildings. Let's talk about some um, practical details. You mentioned. Orientation is quite a, a big aspect. Um, yeah. Specifically, I want to know how that translates to the Southern Hemisphere because there's obviously the East and West orientation is um, the same wherever you are, but there's a lot of focus on the sun and that changes depending on, on your latitude. So is North directly translatable to South in the Southern Hemisphere? Um, no. <laughs> right. How's that for my answer, or shall I unfold it? I will. Please do. <laughs> um, as as you as you described, uh, you put your finger on the two major factors. Uh, the the Earth is a 
the Earth is a sphere that rotates on its axis, and so our direction of travel anywhere on the Earth is to the east, mm-hmm. um, and that is distinct from latitude. And uh, the cosmic influences still pass overhead from east to west anywhere on on the uh, uni- on the planet, and so the the Vastu principles, the Vastu laws apply around the Earth. However, we layer on top of that. Um, all that we have learned in the last couple of decades about proper environmental design. We want our houses to be cool in the summer and warm in the winter, and we can use or block solar energy in order to assist in that. We, we like uh, daylighting to avoid having to turn lights, artificial lights on. And we as environmental designers will integrate into the design of our buildings uh, those principles of thermal mass and 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 uh, light transmission and light shading as is appropriate to our latitude. And um, it, it, it therefore, a Vastu structure built in New Zealand would, would have many physical characteristics that would differ from a Vastu structure that was built in uh, Iowa, USA. Mm-hmm. And I will add that um, while we discourage strongly south entrances we are completely neutral on south windows which is of no consequence to you in the southern hemisphere but in the northern hemisphere passive solar design necessitates uh, south facing windows and i i've done uh, vastu projects uh, such as the sustainable living center for maharshi university of management for which i was the design architect and the south wall is entirely glass but it is it is shaded by um, overhanging photovoltaic uh, panels right. so that in the summertime, that glass wall is in the shade. I love that juxtaposition. Well, it's not really juxtaposition. It's just that um, coming together of the ancient and the modern technology, I think, is uh, very exciting that you've got a Vastu design with um, the latest um, PV technology on it. So, well, so essentially well, north is north, wherever you are. But you the still north, the you, North Pole is always to the north. Yep, and and how that influences the the best placement of rooms and the and the direction it doesn't change. But you need to pay attention to where the sun is, obviously, for for getting that um, the energy from the sun. Exactly. Well put. You've um, got some great visual information on the website and. We haven't gone over them, but there are the there are five principles listed of uh, Vastu architecture with some with some good examples, and they are, they go through direction, placement of rooms, proportion of rooms. I really like the concept of that. Um, natural and non toxic materials and solar energy, um, <clears throat> and then the other aspects like the slope of the land and um, unobtru- unobstructed rising sun. So I'll put a link to people so that people can find all those great resources that you've got on the website and people can find out more. One of the things that I'm wondering about is renovations because all this stuff is pretty easy if you've if you've got the choice of a, a section and then you can design things correctly. But how do you implement something like Vastu when the majority of our houses already exist? Well, you may be shocked at, at my answer, but um, initially for the first few years, Maharshi uh, permitted us to 
rectify existing houses to analyze their floor plan. And if they face the cardinal directions, then make recommendations for um, modifications that could be made to them uh-huh. um, to enliven natural law on them. And the effects were profound. Uh, I, I know one family, for instance, had um, a west-facing house and they opened up an, an east entrance on it and they had two daughters ages 10 and 12 who had always quarreled with each other. And on the very day the entrance opened, they became best friends. And I can tell you many more stories like this. These these things are very powerful, but ultimately Maharshi decided that they are not complete. And what he stood for in his revival of the Vedic knowledge was always to anything that he provided that had his name on it should should provide the entire value of that Vedic tradition. And so we stopped doing rectifications of existing buildings. Um, and so what I can say to you, um, for those who want to make some modifications to their homes are the following. If your house does face the cardinal directions, it's aligned north, south, east, west, then use East or north doors do not use south or west doors, and that alone has a very powerful impact upon the quality of life lived in it. Um, your bed uh, have the pillow end to the east or to the south, not to the west or to the north. And um, if if it's practical to have a fence around your house, then do and and make sure that the gate is to the east. Now this will not work on some sites, but mm-hmm. these are. These are really valuable things to do. Get plenty of east light into a house. If you have very few east windows, add some. And um, the, ultimate, uh, the ultimate benefit, he said, is we tear down every house in the world and we rebuild them. And that was, that was his plan for global reconstruction because 75% of the houses in the world have orientations which create suffering on the people who live in them. And this is very measurable. It's not, it's not superstition. And once one, once one recognizes that, then one has a responsibility to try to end the suffering. And so from his cosmic, you know, Vedic perspective, we have to rebuild the world. Nice. That's a, uh, a good note to finish on and uh, a, a challenge laid down. <laughs> um, and uh, that may be contradictory in some people's minds when there is a a link here to sustainability but what you're saying or the whole philosophy here is actually creating spaces that are nourishing uh and i get the sense that it's all about doing good rather than just doing less bad well i mean you raise a really important subtle apparent contradiction between um rebuilding all the houses of the world to have only nourishing influences on people and minimizing the expense of embodied energy in construction, because we know that construction Mm. uses such a large part of the world's energy. And um, it, it absolutely is a contradiction. We have to think it through for ourselves. But my perspective on it is that we make bad decisions. Our brains are not fully coherent when we live in a house which confuses us which most houses do we make bad decisions and the ramifications of those decisions can lead to the suffering which is a part of so much of the world and so honestly even though it it seems inherently contradictory um i i have concluded that if we do rebuild entire cities we will see that the environmental related decisions made by the citizens of that city will become profoundly more in tune with nature. And over the long run, I think 
the impact on the world will be completely for the better to have done that. Nice. You have a textbook on your website, um, which has loads of information. So I'll make sure that people uh, have a link to that. When you go into not just house design, but also town layout, which is a, a whole other aspect we that probably don't have time for today. Where can people get in touch with you, John? The website, the URL is maharishivastu.org. That's M-A-H-A-R-I-S-H-I-V-A-S-T-U.org. My own website uh, is basically my name, J-O-N, no H, at J-Lipman, J-L-I-P as in Peter, M-A-N, dot, dot com, john at J-Lipman dot com. Um, but, or they can reach us through our website at marishivastu.org. And so that, do you have a website for your, for your practice or is, it, is that um, the, the main one, the, the Maharishi website? I, I've, I've put very, very little attention on, on a website to promote myself because I am also uh, an, an impartial um, operator of the national, uh, the International for North America Consultation Service right. in Vastu. And there are other uh, Maharshi Vastu architects in North America. And I don't want to sort of be driving traffic towards me. So I've intentionally not, not built up much of a website for myself, right. but rather for this service. Right. Hey, well, thank you very much for your time, John. I really appreciate it. It's fascinating stuff, and I look forward to learning more myself, but also seeing more of this type of influence. Um, and like you say, that that going back to wise old um, philosophies at the same time as using science. So I think it's a, it's a really um, a great way to reach back and learn something from history. Well, very good. Uh, it, it was a lot of fun uh, uh, being interviewed by you, and you did ask me some questions no one's ever asked me before. So good. it was it was very enjoyable for me. And I uh, best of luck um, with your podcast. Uh, you are you're doing important work. Thank you. You too. Thanks. Thanks a lot, John. My pleasure. Thank you. All right, so there were uh, a few links there for John's great work that he is doing, mostly in the just promoting Vastu architecture, actually, rather than promoting himself, which is really interesting stuff. I'll be sure to link up um, both John's personal page so you can find it, but also Vastu. And there's some amazing images there. Don't think that this is all new age, old school kind of hippie sort of stuff. There are some amazing looking buildings on that website. So definitely check that out. Uh, you can find all the show notes for that. Well, you will be able to find the show notes for this episode at homestylegreen.com forward slash 129. If they're not there immediately, uh, check back in a week or two because I'm actually tied up this week um, heading off to Australia with my son for a few days. Um, so it might take a few days to get the, the show notes up, but they will be there. So um, come back sometime and check out homestylegreen.com forward slash 129 for episode 129. Also got a few uh, very interesting projects that I'm looking at at the moment for helping people out with their designs. So if you do want some help with your design and, and you want some independent review of a house plan or even just some help getting your concepts uh, uh, sorted out before you go and engage an expensive architect, then that's where I can help. 
you can get in touch with me, Matthew at homestylegreen.com. I'd love to see if I can help you make a better place to live. That's it for this week's episode. Thank you very much for tuning in. If you do like this, I'd love it. Uh, also, if you could head over to iTunes, leave a quick review there or a rating or tell someone about the show. You can contact uh, me also on Twitter and Facebook as well. So um, love to hear from you there. Thanks very much. Now go make a better place to live. <laughs>